So we're continuing with eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. This is the 84th lesson. In Roman numeral one, you'll see the eight essentials, plus uh, what we call element zero, which is kind of introductory for about four weeks. And uh, after we finished element six, we were at about 70 to 72 weeks, somewhere in there. And we decided, or I decided anyway, to go ahead and do a review. Maybe that wasn't the best place to put a review, but we did. So this is our 12th and final message on the review. I wanted the review to be a 12-part series. I actually have two appendices that I may go into the next two weeks, or I may save them for the very end. Questions that uh, are designed to help you diagnose, do I need to really re-examine the gospel and go deeper with, the, with my conversion and the gospel? So I have two appendices along that lines. So um, on the first, on element zero through six, we did just one week each on all of those because they were review. But then elements 7 and 8, um, we did two weeks on element 7 because it was a preview. And so I covered a little more detail. And then on element 8, we are, this is actually now the third and final week on element 8. I am not going to review the first 11 messages because the whole point of this series is to review. But today we are going to talk about the subject of grace delivered. I probably will just review the concept that grace is way more than divine uh, acceptance or unmerited favor, which is the definition that Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Protestant Christians uh, all share in the modern times. And that is a small percentage of what grace is, a very important percentage because it's this, like, you know, the first step on a journey is a pretty important step. So undeserved favor and reconciliation to God and, and being made right with God so his favor and grace rest on your life and you are no longer an object of his wrath. And so the things that come into your life are no, are no longer designed to chastise you so that you'll hopefully become poor enough in spirit to see your need for God. But now God is actually chastising you as a son or a daughter uh, so that you can share in the peaceful fruits of righteousness. He's trying to get you to the place where he can put the most amount of his spirit, his life, his person, his favor, his uh, fruitful calling. He wants to bless you as much as possible without it stealing your heart from him. So there's this process he takes us through in, in terms of sanctification and maturation where he's calling us and calling us to fall in love with him more and more and more. And as we can handle more responsibility and more insight and more wisdom, then he continues to put more grace on us uh, because his ultimate desire is that you would love him fully and be uh, all you were intended to be before the fall of man. So... Grace always comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Grace and truth were fully realized in Jesus Christ, John 1 says. And um, it's always a relational, experiential term. Grace is not just by growing in abstract biblical knowledge, but in experiencing the power of his word by his spirit, uh, because Jesus Christ himself is the word. 
something that was very clear in the first few centuries of the church was that Jesus is the living word of God and the scriptures, uh, the written word of God, are all about Jesus, the written word of God. That's why I have a little saying, uh, the apostolic hermeneutic is correct and Christocentric. Uh, unlike the dispensational hermeneutic or even covenant theology, which is a better step than, you know, a step in the better uh, direction than the modern uh, evangelical way of looking at Scripture, the ancient way of looking at Scripture is even better. Uh, the apostles use Scripture to reveal Christ in, in dozens of ways. And uh, that was what the very first series we put on the podcast was John's series, um, Christ in the Old Testament. And he used 15 different characters of the Old Testament as examples of how you start to look at Scripture in a more Christocentric way. Um, recently, uh, oh, maybe three months ago, he gave a really easy to understand example. You know, today, when you are taught as a little kid about David and Goliath, you're after David says, who is this pagan heathen to be mocking the Lord and, you know, and strikes Goliath down and so forth, we're told, be more like David, right? <laughs> you know, try harder, be moralizing therapeutic, like, you just got to muster up more strength and quit being a wimp and have more courage and, and do it by yourself. Uh, so, but the whole point is that Jesus is called the son of David. And David is a foreshadowing of Christ. And all four types and foreshadowings of Christ uh, demonstrated certain aspects of, of Christ and his person, like David was a king. And David was a worshiper. David gave glory to the Father and so forth. And he was a warrior. So, you know, one of the reasons we have 69% women in evangelical Christianity and 31% men is because we know Jesus as a lamb, but we don't know him as a lion. And uh, men were made to know God as a lion. You know, men need to conquer things. And so um, the Christocentric interpretation of all that is that David is our, is our that, you know, King Jesus is our Goliath slay slayer. He's the one who slays the enemies of God. We're the cowardly Israelites on the sideline, and we need our champion to slay the giants. And then by the grace of our champion, we can enter into his courage. We can, not on our own, we can enter into his passion. We can enter into his strength. And when the enemies of the Lord are being routed, we can join in the chasing them down <laughs> by the grace of God. And uh, that's what we're here for as Christians. God, Jesus won the decisive victory, just like the Allies did at D-Day, and the rest is a mop-up operation. Uh, we are here to expand the glory of God, the kingdom of God, the crown rights of Jesus into every area of human life, and before Jesus comes back, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. Any goals less than that are the wrong goals. So that's an example of what we're trying to do is help uh, everyone learn to read the scriptures more Christologically. So today, in our final view, we're going to look at what we call the three deliveries of systems of grace. I'm going to first just introduce us to them uh, briefly. 
Then we're actually going to go through them more deeply one at a time. There's a little dotted line about two-thirds of the way down your page where we're going to start to go back through the three tools of grace in a little more detail. Um, in traditional theology, what I call the delivery systems of grace, if you're going to read any of the old Puritans or any of the Reformers, or even go back so to Augustine or uh, some of the apostolic fathers, you'll, hear, you'll see the word means of grace. That's not kind of a way we talk in modern times too much. Most people may be the first time they hear the word means, uh, unless they know the, and you know, we, in our Congress we have a, what is it, Ways and Means Committee. It's all about allocating the, the money to do stuff that the Constitution doesn't allow the federal government to do. <laughs> but let's not get on that. Um, you know, God, through his means of grace or his delivery systems of grace or his tools of grace or his vehicles of grace, um, does everything that he does to mature us, sanctify us, empower us, not just individually, but what God's after is building a people for his possession who work together to extend his mission. So, let's look at the three, to three delivery systems or means of grace are Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Now, it's important to understand that these are inextricably intertwined. It is impossible for the Scripture to come to us apart from the Spirit and the church. Attempts to do so will put us where the Pharisees were, Jesus said to these Pharisees who had memorized the entire scripture, they would actually pride themselves on being able to say it backward, if you know, need be. They knew all of the commentaries called the Midrash and the Mishnah. That would be equivalent to you memorizing all the notes of a study Bible in our day. And Jesus said, this is the reason you're mistaken. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Because apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, and apart from having this kind of filling of the Holy Spirit that causes you to be seated at the Father's right hand in, in heavenly places, and able to perceive the thoughts and hearts of God, heart heart of, of God from and, and and hear God's thoughts and know God's heart and and be actively in the Spirit all the time. Whenever you're not in the in the Spirit. In a really full way, your perspectives are wrong. There is no objective truth in the universe. That's a philosophical idea of, that comes out of atheism. There is only the right subjective truth, and God is the right person whose, whose viewpoint is always true. Every other subjective point of view and every other so-called objective point of view is death and wrong. And deceived. His point of view alone is the right point of view. And only in his presence, full of his spirit, can we understand his perspectives. So the Pharisees were mistaken because they tried to know the word of God out of the wrong paradigms, and the wrong paradigms came out of their deep seated unbelief and anti supernatural. God did miracles a long time ago, but he doesn't do them anymore worldview, which caused them to totally miss the point as the church does today, when it's not filled with the Holy Spirit and pursuing the Holy Spirit. So, um, 
In Acts 14.3, it says, Therefore they spent a long time, this is Paul and Barnabas, after they came back from their first missionary journey, it's called in modern times their first apostolic church planting endeavor. Uh, Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. Hopefully you've read today's gospel recently. Uh, You should read it several times. It will help you get past the American gospel and start moving toward the biblical gospel. The last chapter is is about how we need to rely on God. Because, you know, by the grace of God, we often get to be in a situation like it's been a wonderful joy. Some of you heard Chris Like's testimony recently. And it's been a wonderful joy to journey in him. But apart from God, we can do nothing. We can plant. We can water. But only God can cause growth. One of the reasons evolution is such a ridiculous idea is it would require spontaneous generation. It would require inanimate objects uh, that have no life, non-organic, whatever, to suddenly have life. And only God can give life. And that's true in all of creation. So um, we have to preach the gospel with total reliance upon the Lord. And that's what the last chapter of today's gospel is all about. Very, very good chapter. Um, And uh, as they relied upon the Lord and they testified to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Acts 20.32, Paul is in his, he knows he's seeing the Ephesian elders for the last time. The church in Ephesus was the most mature church uh, of any of the letters that Paul wrote, just as the first and second Corinthians are the least mature church and the most like our, they're, for, they're very appropriate for today. Many things in first and second Corinthians, uh, would, it would help a lot of us to, to be able to experience and move into those correctly because we're in that kind of a culture. Ephesians was written to a very mature church, and so Paul they loves these people. They've spent time together. They're in covenant together. They they're family. They you know like if if um, I was talking to a couple very mature Christians in our church recently, and we were talking about community, and we were about, like, wow, now that you know I've tasted community for a few years, like I could never live any other way. Like, I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back to living, you know, see you on Sunday in programmatic Wednesday night meetings or something. So, um, he's got that kind of relationship with the Ephesian elders. He knows he's going to see them the last time. He records that they were crying because when Paul told him, this is my last time, the Holy Spirit has shown me I'm never going to make it back to see you guys again. And everyone's weeping and this kind of thing. And he says, now I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Notice how it's empowerment here, enablement. Divine empowerment, that is what grace is. The word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Greek really uh, means all those who are being sanctified. Those who have been sanctified, are being sanctified, or continue to be sanctified by the, the word of God and the call of God in their life and the purpose of God. 
John 8, 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you'll be truly my disciples and you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Meaning if you don't abide in his word, you're a false disciple and you won't get set free. Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night, which means chew the cuds and think, mull it over. Uh, and so that you can be careful to do it. Joshua, James 1 is about being doers of the word, not hearers who deceive themselves. Then on to the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is called in, in Hebrews 10, oh, oh, that's a typo, that should be Hebrews 10, 29c, not Hebrews 10, 20c. I, I must, the zero's right next to the nine, I must have missed since I don't really know how to type, I'm just a hunt and pecker. Uh, we're going to work on that this summer, hopefully. And has insulted the spirit of, the gra- of grace. Now, it's in a very negative context. He's, where, he's warning you not to trample underfoot the blood of Jesus, and it's, it's one of the strongest warnings uh, in the whole Bible. So strong that there was some debate as to whether to keep Hebrews in the Bible over this passage, uh, Hebrews 10, 26 through, tw- through 29. However, uh, he ends up by calling... He's talking about all the things the person is insulted or the person is trampled upon, and the one is the spirit of grace. So you can still take out of that, learning how to read with comprehension, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. Right? Although in that particular context, he's saying don't insult the spirit of grace. Uh, Ephesians 4.30 tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. Now there's all kinds of verses. I listed some of them below that talk about the Holy Spirit given to us as a down payment, a guarantee, a pledge, and how we are sealed. What's so important about the baptism in the Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit when you're regenerated, but when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, in ancient times, once something was sealed, it couldn't be changed. Remember in the in the book of Daniel, once you know, in the books of Esther, both in both books, wicked men uh, deceive the the king to put a seal on something that he then gets what they're doing afterwards, and and he can't change it. So when you know God is baptizing you in the Holy Spirit, the Bible, after Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit, God affirmed him, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased." Um, if you have any kinds of fears, insecurities, things like that, get more of the Holy Spirit working in your life all the time because you can't be worried or fearful, fearful and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. They're incompatible because the Holy Spirit is, the Bible says that by the Holy Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father, like a little kid enjoys their daddy. We are, uh, we're, our sonship is confirmed, Romans 8. Uh, Romans 5 says, The love of God has been poured out through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. In, in the verbiage there is, pur- is purposely ambiguous. It's be- saying both our knowledge of how much God loves us and our ability to God, love God back is, this, is like a vicious cycle when we're flowing in the Holy Spirit. A good vicious cycle. A wonderful cycle, you might say. So um, we'll t- look at more of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully we can have time for that. Um, I'm really wanting to just do enough introductory on it, so and we'll go into each of these deeper, because we're going to go on with this series at 7 and 8 and, and cover essential elements 7 and 8 more deeply in weeks to come. So i got to push myself along. The church. The church, is, the church of God's grace. Jesus, Jesus said, 
to Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church, which is in contradistinction to the assembly of God in the Old Testament, that you might call Moses' assembly or people. And the gates of Hades, we've talked a lot about how, why Jesus took them to the, to the Caesarea Philippi at the base of the mountain. Because, you know, listen to my message called Mountains in Matthew that's on our podcast, and you'll get a detailed thing about the significance of the place they were because they were at the gates of Hades when he said that. And he's saying, I'm going to empower you to, to go into the darkest, evilest places among the most wicked people and change their lives. I've had some of my best meetings with people in insane asylums. <laughs> you know, it's uh, because the Lord is the Lord everywhere. One of the first guys I shared with Jesus about in 1974 was a friend that you, I used to do a lot of drugs with, and he had done so many drugs that he was now living in a mental hospital, and he thought he was God. And so we uh, began to talk about how Jesus was God. Um, so in the Gospels, one of the things people misunderstand is though Jesus only mentions the church twice in the Gospels, Matthew 16 and 18. And he talks about the kingdom hundreds of times. Whereas, um, I forget how many mess, uh, references to the kingdom are in the epistles, you know, like 40-some, whereas references to the church are hundreds. So um, people kind of misunderstand what that is all about. It's because the church is the agent of the kingdom. The kingdom has come in Christ, and now what we're supposed to be is having the kingdom infiltrate our life more and more as a body of people together. We're supposed to be receiving the kingdom more fully and completely, and expanding the kingdom more fully and completely. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as a way of life as Christians. So we'll look at, uh, hopefully we'll look at some of these things. And remember, you can never have one of these without the other. And they're inextricably intertwined. We, in our finiteness, and especially modern people, tend to think in, in categories of either or. We can only uh, talk about these things separately as a way of helping organize our thoughts, but they, you can never separate them. They always must work together. If you have, try to talk about the Word without the Spirit, you'll dry up. You, you know, all the, and there's all kind of movements out there that honor the Word without the power of the Spirit and are, are full of death and dryness and so forth. This, because the, the body without the Spirit is death. So um, then there's all kind of uh, Holy Spirit kind of Christianity that has never really taken very seriously that all Scripture is the Word of God and never studied it thoroughly enough and really thought about it from paradigm levels and how to interpret it better and see the whole Word and the whole message and all these kinds of things. And, you know, without the, the Spirit without the Word, you'll blow up, you'll, you know, Charismatic and Pentecostal Christianity is, no, is known for its moral failures and its pastors and uh, absurd ideas. I've never met someone who's all about how, like, they experienced the Holy Spirit when they first got saved and da-da-da-da-da. But they never went on to study, get discipled, who's not, you know, a mess. And 
and in most cases, they don't have enough knowledge of God in Scripture to even know how messed up the situation is. One of the hardest things about helping people is like when uh, when kids are growing up in a very dysfunctional home. Um, and you know anyone who's worked been a social worker or worked with uh, you know those kind of situations knows that um, that uh, a kid, even if he's in a home where he's being beaten and there's bed bugs and the thing, you know they need to have the show hoarders come in and set him free, <laughs> all these problems, uh, they still. Uh, don't want to go to a more healthy situation. And you see that in, in the church all the time. You know, we want to kind of, even though we're in this completely dysfunctional, you know, s- situation, we just can't see, like we're we still more happy with what we're used to and comfortable with instead of trying to get back to, to a more healthy, biblical, biblically complete, well-defined situation. Um, and that's just part of human nature. Uh, I wish we could talk more about the one and the many, but all truth is in divine tensions. One of the real problems today is people think in either or, not both in categories. Every heresy is the uh, emphasizing of a truth without its counterbalancing truth. For instance, uh, you know, the biggest heresies are usually about Christology and in, in what's called pseudo-Christian cults, and often. Uh, a pseudo-Christian cult will see Jesus as deity, but but deny his humanity. That's what the Gnostics did. Uh, or they'll see his humanity and de- deny his deity. And uh, all, all truth is with counterbalancing tensions that on the surface seems to be a paradox, but if you understand it from God's point of view, it's not antithetical at all. That's why you'll often hear me talk about being paradoxical truth that's not antithetical. All right, let's see if we have enough time to get into some of these a little deeper. I don't really want to do another message after today, so let's see if we can do it. Uh, Pass the dotted line now. The word of his grace, getting started with four introductory keys to a grace-based empowering approach. Uh, Hopefully I won't just get into the scripture and not the Holy Spirit of the church. Uh, number one, you have to position yourself daily or every minute, really, of every day, that song, I Need You Every Hour, in the gospel of grace. First John 4.19 says, he, we love because he loves us. The more, I, you know, especially if you've come out of abusive parents, whatever, uh, watered-down gospels, legalistic, performance-based Christianity, Think often and always about the gospel of grace and the love of God. You can't think about it enough. Uh, if you want, there's a little book on the back. The back, I think we only got one or two copies of, called Can Christianity Cure Obsessive Compulsive Disorder? And it's a study of three very famous church people, Martin Luther, Teresa of Avila, and... Uh, Paul, not Paul Bunyan, I almost said Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan, Paul Bunyan was a great Christian, like John the Baptist, he knew the axe was laid to the root, no, I'm just kidding, Uh, so um, John Bunyan, and how they were totally oppressed by by a performance-based legalistic Christianity that had ruined their life until they discovered grace, 
And all of them became some of the greatest servants of God of their time period because of their complete focus all the time on the love of God and the grace of God. Now, there's a lot of books about grace out there now that tend to come out of antinomianism, so they're mostly good, but they could be better kind of thing. There, um, you know, I do recommend if you that you listen to our Grace Upon Grace series and that you add to it uh, a message I did in this thing about grace being our lifelong journey. But uh, hopefully we'll be writing a book on grace within the next few years. You have to because what you know you can't you it'll be total death if you're like I've got to read my five chapters of the Bible today. I'm all for setting Bible reading goals, but you don't have to do them for God to love you or accept you. And you must re, you must remember that every time. I'm you know we uh you know teach about historical and biblical spiritual disciplines of which you need to to increase them in your life. However, you don't increase them to be more approved of God or more accepted of God. You increase them because once you're approved and accepted of God, he will motivate you to want to be more empowered by God and to enjoy him more fully and to be sitting at his feet, listening to his word, like the famous Mary in the Martha Mary, uh, Luke 10. So um, that's important. You've got to start grace-based and reposition yourself grace-based all the time and grow to where you're always leaning on grace and you're never performance-based. And that's a journey because our sinful nature wants to be performance-based. Because if we've done something godly or good, if we can say, well, I'm a little more spiritual than that person or they're not doing it like I'm doing it or whatever, then, then we have room for pride in our heart. That, those statements were prideful. You know, I'm very comfortable with saying I'm, I am one of the I'm one of the worst Christians I've ever met. I don't know, you know, I, I can't, like my number one question I want to ask the Apostle Paul, if I ever get to, you know, I don't know how heaven works, but I figure with all the time that we'll have, that I'll hopefully eventually get to talk to him someday. Or, uh, or maybe they'll have like submit email questions, but, uh, <laughs> or something. But uh, who knows? But I can't wait to ask, uh, when he said that he was the chief of sinners, uh, is that true? Or what I think is actually true is that everyone who's thinking about sin, you're, I'm the chief of sinners. Right? So all of us should be able to say, no, no, I'm the chief of sinners. Hopefully we wouldn't like get in a fisticuffs over in the parking lot. <laughs> I'm the chief of sinners. No, I am. <laughs> you know, and you do get you do get people that get into this uh then it becomes prideful, ironically, uh, this top this testimony. Oh no, I was really bad. <laughs> you know, I, one thing I like about our church is there's probably a few people who are more messed up than I was when they started. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or at least, at least there's some candidates that deserve to be in the discussion. You know, uh, <laughs> so you know, like you got to get comfortable with you got nothing. There's nothing good that dwells in me. The very good that I would do, I don't do that. You know, I'm always, I've been, uh, since when I was 27 years old, 33 years ago, 
I was beginning to get a little concerned about my weight because I'd crept up from 160 to 180. Now, like 180s in my I have a dream category, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, uh, so I'd be happy if I get under 200. But, this, you know, my entire life I've been, since, especially since age 27, I've been reading about quantities of food, quality of food, you know, what refined carbohydrates versus complex, glycemic index, different types, the diff, all the different types of fat. And all these things, and uh, I know a lot about the the whole subject. Uh, but then I, every now and again, recently uh, I hadn't had any pancakes, or at least white flour pancakes, at a restaurant for years. And we go out all the time, you know. And recently I've had pancakes twice. Just about made me sick. So like you know, like he who knows what to do and doesn't do it to him, it's sin. So. I'm the chief pancake sinner <laughs> who, who put, put like gross amounts of syrup on the pancakes, even though it's that fake gross syrup. Uh, it, it, delicious and disgusting at the same time. It's like, it's like you know you've hit the bottom if you go to Taco Bell or something. <sighs> All right, so posture ourselves about grace. I wish I hadn't got sidetracked on that too much with my time situation. We're not going to finish this today and now. Uh, but hopefully, uh, I can't preach that enough. We all want to keep going back to performance-based, keep seeking God to be grace-based. So, good to see you, Larry. Are you taking off? Oh, good to see you. Uh, secondly, biblically derived knowledge understood and properly applied to all seven two institutions is the beginning of a vital ingredient of empowerment. So what a, that may be a bit be a awkward, but grace, part of the problem we have today is called pietism. We're not going to deal with that much today, except for in pietism, we apply the word of God to spiritual things like our prayer life and our worship life and what we do when we're hiding behind the church walls. But biblical reality, you know, Psalm 119, 128, I put there, therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything, therefore I hate every false way. The Bible applies to marriage, to education, to economic systems, to how to go about your vocation, to how to manage your money. You know, of course, you can go on TV and they'll teach you about tithing, but they won't teach you much about any other financial principles of management and so forth. What you, you are your own best partner with your doctor. You're your own best Christian counselor. I'm, I don't think, I, I don't want to ever be at a place where, you know, this week I had some questions that were beyond me. And I was so glad that I was able to talk to a professional Christian counselor, several pastors outside our church, both pastors in our church, Jason and John, in, in all sorts of things. But your best partner in teaming up to find the truth is to really know a lot about the Word of God. And how and in any subject that could come up, you know a lot of scripture about that subject. That's so important. That's what I'm trying to say in this second point is there's nothing more empowering. Study Christian counseling. We have 
There are three major Christian counseling traditions. Make sure you know a fair bit about all three. We have an introductory book on each one that gets you started. You know, understand so much about the baptism in the Spirit that you can take someone through the whole studies yourself. Know how to discern whether something's the flesh or demons and how to deal with it. The more you get filled with things of knowledge and so forth, the more empowered you'll be. This is especially important for husbands because no one has the potential to help your children find the Lord and and find his ways more than you. That's why I work so hard with all the single guys to make sure they keep growing in knowledge and wisdom. And, you know, when I meet with Daniel Williams, for instance, every time we talk about from the beginning of our relationship till now, here's the list of all the books he's read. Here's his approach to Scripture. These are the ideas he's grown in and so forth. And then these are some ideas you need to grow in, right? And we do that over dinner, <laughs> usually. Um, at uh, Frisch's Salad Bar, where they know me. They always, when I walk in, they greet me and say, I know what you want. Um, C, learn to read the entire Bible and get Grace Christian Fellowship equipped to interpret it. Learn how to read it from as one author of many authors. Now, I can't go into all that. What that means, we'll, we're going to go into all this a little bit more. So you'll hear more about that. And we've dealt with that a lot of times on our podcast. Uh, it's, it's the doctrine of the plenary inspiration of Scripture. The sum of his word is truth. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. Doesn't that sound like an empowering word? I would rather be involved in a profitable, like, do you want to be in a non-profitable employment? <laughs> you know, like, at the end of every Friday, you get an IOU. <laughs> you know, like, you get a, you get a bill from your employer. <laughs> you know, uh, Maybe if you're really clumsy and you broke a lot of parts or something, they start billing you for them. <laughs> I think I would quit my job and get somewhere where the, I get a paycheck. You, scripture is profitable. So the man of God can be complete. The word there is actually the word for integer, whole, perfect, mature, uh, equipped. can ask for a more empowering word than equipped for a few good works. Oh, wait, that's the modern translation. Every good work, every good work. Can, is the, can you do anything God's called you to do? That should be your goal. Now, there's two books there. Notice that one of them is the first book listed on our 12 foundational books in our book of the year, God's Big Picture. Uh, Sam, would you go ask Stephen where there should be one that's actually got Larry Trimbach's name on it, that Taylor did the calligraphy on it. Make sure that we give that to Larry before he leaves. Uh, And hopefully everyone has gotten uh, theirs. We did one for every person in the church, except many married couples. We just did one for the husband and the wife. Um, So here's some things about learning to read the whole Bible. Number one, major themes. Understand king, the king. That's why I didn't have enough room for king and kingdom. 
but they're together. Like the kingdom is about a king, and the king is Jesus. God wants a covenant people. Understand the, the eight elements of all covenants and the eight major federal head covenants in the Bible. Those are different concepts. Beyond redemption to restoration. Understand, like all evangelical stuff says that the Bible is the story of redemption. And that's so wrong. It's, that is so incomplete. It's not wrong. It's not enough. Redemption is the first step in a process where God is going to reconstruct the entire world. To be, he doesn't just want to take us back to, and restore paradise. He wants to restore the mission that they were supposed to take out of paradise to fill the whole earth with the glory of God and to remake everything according to God's image. It's way beyond redemption. That's like saying grace is divine acceptance. That's 2% of it. And the, the story of redemption is a, is a, you know, you have to enter into God through redemption. All the doctrines of soteriology and things we've been studying in this series, that's the first couple stepping stones. But you need a little more than two stepping stones to get across a 90-foot creek. You know, to get across the Mississippi River, you're probably going to need more than two stones. And the, where the Bible's actually going is reconstructing the whole world. Any goal other than that is, is, is why we lose our kids. It's why, you know, parents get into this, I'll get radical and spiritual after my kids grow up, but I'm going to kind of retreat from the world in, instead of equipping them to be world conquerors in, in the name of Christ. It's why 40 to 70% of kids that grow up in evangelical homes today leave the faith because no one has ever captured their imagination than that you're going to be you're called to be something much bigger than a jedi warrior you're called to be a world conqueror well i'm going to have to wrap it up even though i got started late understand providential historical narrative wish we could deal more with that we will as we develop this Understand how to get the word pictures, all the different kinds of literature, law and grace, statutes, flipping over, embrace and, uh, and adopt uh, our culture of catechism here at GCF. We want to kind of make you, uh, help you develop this love of knowledge. Loving God with all your mind is an important part of being a Christian. And getting delivered from the contemporary anti-intellectual Christianity is, is absolutely essential. Nobody's very empowered or succeeds in business. You, you wouldn't want to go to a Christian counselor who doesn't know a lot of stuff, would you? You know, um, you know as, as, as a dad, you should know about every kind of subject, fin financial management skills, everything you might that you need to teach your children. All right, well, we're not going to get into the spirit of grace. Uh, we will kind of go back through some of this stuff as, as we move on. Uh, the grace of the church, our mom, mother, I'll end with that. I'm going to skip. We, we do a lot on the Holy Spirit in this church anyway. Um, the grace of the church, our mother, um, Cyprian, in the four, third century, said you cannot have God as your father if you do not have the church for your mother. We have a kind of a modern 
way of approaching Christianity where we visit the church somewhat regularly, 25 to 45 times a year or something, but that's not the biblical church, and hopefully we know, most of us know that by now. All right, so I'm going to uh, get into all of this stuff better. I wish I, wish I had not told a few jokes maybe, but that's... Eh, People like the jokes. So, I like the jokes. So, some of them are bad. Some of them are even worse. But, uh, <laughs> so we will, uh, there's a very good statement, by the way, about community in this thing called the Common Concerns of the Alliance Renewals Churches. Read the little section on community. In fact, it's even though we're late, I'm going to read that to end. Here's our little blurb on community. Community is inherent in the nature of the one God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the, in other words, the Trinity is the matrix for family, community, marriage, etc. Community is inherent in the nature of the one God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is also the matrix and vital core of human life. Nowhere more than the, in the church are we called to live a life in community because we are members of one another, having been given gifts with the express purpose of building one another up in Christ. We reject the pra practice of our individualistic culture, which breeds isolation and alienation. We seek to live in community with one another in our churches in as many practical ways as possible, living with and near each other and sharing both the joys and hardship that life brings to us. Amen. <laughs>